So if you're uh, just now joining us online, we want to welcome you to Bethany United Methodist Church, where we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, to grow in His image. We're glad you're joining us for the celebration of Easter. We had intended to be out in the parking lot and uh, partway or toward the end of the 930 service, I guess, uh, the 830 service, uh, uh, the, the radar was saying, hmm, that's not a good idea. And, uh, and I really didn't want to have the choir standing out there on risers with lots of electrical equipment in the rain. But, you know, if I electrocute the choir, it's just not going to be a good day. So, uh, so we moved indoors. So thank you for understanding and being gracious with us this morning. We appreciate your willingness to uh, adjust to the change of plans as we come together uh, here on Easter Sunday morning. Uh, obviously, we're doing things a little different this morning. Uh, we did an, we're doing an 8.30 and a 10.30 instead of our regular services. We're doing blended music at, at, at both the services. And uh, we just decided that since you know, this is the year, right? I mean, this is the year when nothing is like it used to be, that we would just decide to do some things differently this morning. And uh, both services are identical. So just rest assured, if you're a little uncomfortable, they felt the same way at 8.30. You're in good company this morning. Uh, but I do want to uh, come back. Uh, I, I, I've been in some conversations uh, this past week with some of the saints of this church uh, who have uh, left us this year uh, and gone on to the heavenly realms. And as they've uh, come and visited with me and talked with me, uh, they've been sharing with me through the years and, and, and uh, through the week. And, and one of them that did was uh, is my good friend Alan Goldsberry. And, uh, and, and, and of course, you know, it would be Alan that would have advice for me. And, uh, and Alan said, you know, one of the things is that you know, this is Easter. It's supposed to be a great celebration, and it's supposed to be really upbeat and noisy. So I want you to feel free to be upbeat and noisy as we move through this. I'm going to ask you to do some things with me as we go through it. But to start it off, I, I want to ask you to stand with me. We're going to call the Holy Spirit down on this gathering as we are in this time. So I want you to stand. We're going to call out to the Holy Spirit, and we're going to do it uh, very simple. This is the way Peter Gregg had taught some of us to do it, which is just yell out, come on, at the top of your lungs. I'm going to turn my mic off so I don't deafen you. Uh, but, but when I give you the count of three, then I just want you to lean your head back and shout, come on, and let that rise through the roof of this building and into the very heavens themselves. Ready? Come on, Holy Spirit, be with us this morning. Uh, lighten us on this gray, overcast morning. Let the light of Easter shine in. Uh, open our hearts, our minds, our spirits to hear what it is you want to say to us, uh, to enliven us as you want to say to us. Uh, <laughs> Father, we come and, and ask that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts are acceptable because you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Be seated. And, and here is the story as John recalls it. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, that means before the sunrise service, early on the first day of the week, for, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. 
They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've laid him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. It is true, and we can trust it. Amen? Amen. The classic story out of John's Gospel that announces to us the truth of Easter morning, which is that Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So, so this story is, is interesting because when you read through it, you know, Jesus has made all these predictions to the disciples ahead of time. He's told them the Son of Man is going to go and he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be arrested and he's going to be falsely accused and, and he's going to be beaten and he's going to be crucified and then he's going to be buried and three days later he's going to rise from the dead. He's told them this several times at this point. And yet you notice what their reaction is. They come to the tomb that morning. Why? To see that he's raised up? No, they come expecting him to be there. They're going to finish the burial preparations that got interrupted by sundown on Friday. So they come to finish the burial preparations. And when he's not there, the first assumption is not, oh, he's been raised up. The first assumption is somebody stole his body. Now, despite the fact that the, the cloth laying there was a hint, because if you were stealing the body, you wouldn't take time to unwrap it. You would take it wrappings and all quickly and get out of there. But, but nonetheless, e even with that, their, their assumption is somebody's taking the body. And Mary comes to the tomb, finds the stone rolled away that morning. And, and as she stands there and looks at it, her first thought is somebody's stolen it. She goes and, 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 and looks into the room and the angels say, why, why are you looking for him here? He's not here. And then she's aware of somebody standing behind her. And assuming that that's the gardener, she says, Sir, if you'll just tell me where you've taken his body, I'll go get it. And then Jesus says her name, Mary. And she hears that very familiar voice say her name. And in a moment, in a moment, she realizes the truth. The fact that Jesus has to say, you know, don't hold on to me, you know, I haven't ascended yet, tells us that she went and embraced him and held him. 
There's this moment of joy. Mary, who, who Jesus had healed of seven demons, possession by seven demons, who life had been fractured and, and dark and in pieces, and Jesus had brought wholeness to her. And, and in his crucifixion, she had thought she would be plunged back into that darkness again. Suddenly on Easter morning, encounters the risen Christ and knows that, that not only is she not going into that darkness, but that the light and the life continues. In the gospel, I keep telling people, the gospel is very personal. It's that personal touch that, that convinces her, that convinces her. And isn't it interesting that they had such a hard time believing? And I suspect they're not alone in that. I suspect a lot of us here this morning, too, are, are still struggling to believe. And matter of fact, if you listen to that story, you hear that all through it. Jesus tells them, they've watched him, they've been around him, and yet they don't believe. That they don't believe. And it's interesting that we have such a hard time believing because this is actually not the first resurrection story in the scriptures. If you go into the Old Testament, you have Elijah raising the son of the widow at Zarephath. You have Elisha raising the son of the Shunammite woman. And then there's this really strange story where a man dies in the village and they're under attack by marauders. So they're trying to quickly put the body somewhere. And so they place him into Elisha's tomb. And as soon as he touches Elisha's bone, he springs back to life. It's a really strange story. I'm thinking that one you could make a movie with, you know, something about that. And then Jesus himself, right? I mean, Jesus himself, he raises his Jairus' daughter after she's died. Outside of Nain, uh, the city of Nain, uh, he comes to a, a widow's son who's being carried out on the funeral bier, and, and, and he raises him back to life. And so, so this is not unheard of. Matter of fact, it, in the Acts of the Apostles, uh, remember there's a story about Peter who's going to actually go and raise the woman named Tabitha or Dorcas, depending on whether you're talking Hebrew or Greek. So, so this is not unheard of in Scripture. But for some reason, we struggle to believe it. It's so outside the realm of what we're familiar with that we tend not to believe it. And the story we come to today that I'm going to share with you is, is the story of, of Jesus raising up his good friend Lazarus. Uh, and as I read through the story, I want you to listen to how they struggled. They struggled with the reality uh, of this kind of resurrection experience. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, <clears throat> this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now, that seems curious when you read through it. Word comes to him that he's sick and he's dying. And he says, oh, well, let's wait a couple of extra days before we go. And, and, and as weird as it sounds, what he's really saying is, we need to wait a couple of extra days to make sure he's really dead. I know that sounds strange, but... But in the Hebrew tradition, uh, the understanding was that when someone died, that the spirit kind of hovered around the body for several days. And it was only after that that they were really dead. So all those other 
experiences they had seen prior to this of resurrection, uh, either from Elijah or Elisha or, or Jesus himself, the crowd would dismiss those. Oh, well, they, they, it wasn't that long. They really weren't dead. And we would probably say, well, you know, maybe they were unconscious or maybe they were comatose or something like that, the language we might use these days. But nonetheless, it was a way of dismissing it as it's not really a resurrection. And so Jesus wants to make sure this time no one can say that. So he says, we're going to wait a few more days. We're going to wait a few more days before we go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and and yet you're going back? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, I love the part here where they don't quite get it. You know, they think, oh, sleep, death, they're not quite catching that. He has to clarify that for them. But then after he clarifies that and says, we're going we're gonna to go over there, I, I, I love Thomas's reaction. Instead of going, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be something the world, I mean, we've never seen anything like this. This is going to be astounding. He's, he he kind of does the Eeyore act, right? Well, let us go over with him and we'll die with him too. You know, I mean, we're just, I mean, it, it, they just don't get it. They don't understand what Jesus is is talking about and what he's getting ready to do. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. It's just across the Kidron Valley. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you asked. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now, do you notice that she doesn't exactly answer his question? Do you notice that? He comes and he says, you know, we're, we're going to raise him up. And, and she says, well, I know, I know that he's going to get raised up at the end of days. And Jesus goes, no, you don't get it. I, I'm the resurrection and the life. You know, those who believe in me, they're going to live. Even if they die, they're going to live. And do you believe this? And her answer isn't, yeah, I believe that if, you know, we believe in you, we'll live. She says, oh, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God. You hear she's kind of avoiding answering the question? 
Because it's okay to think about resurrection at the end of the days, but to think of resurrection now, she doesn't know what to do with that. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I love the fact that she says the exact same thing her sister does. I mean, don't you think that they were probably sitting at home saying, having this conversation? Well, you know, if Jesus had come, Lazarus wouldn't have died. I mean, they were having this conversation. And so each one of them, as they go out, they say the exact same thing to him. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Shortest one. And, and scholars argue over why he wept. You know, was it just that his heart was filled with compassion for the sorrow of his friends and these people? Or, or, or was it that he was just so disappointed that they did not believe in who he was? It's a good question. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe... You will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Can you imagine the, the scene there? They're, they're standing outside and he, and he stumbles out. He's still wrapped up in all these burial cloths and the crowd is stunned. They're just standing there staring. Jesus finally has to say, somebody, would you go take those cloths off of him so he can go? Because they're all just standing amazed. It's so hard for us to believe. It was easy for them to think about, yeah, at the end of the ages, you know, when, when the world ends and all that, you know, at the end of the ages we'll all be raised up. But, but to believe that, that God would do something like that right now, right here, was shocking. I mean, despite the fact that Jesus begins his preaching with, the time is now, the kingdom is here. The time is now. The kingdom is here. It's right here in the midst of you. Despite that, they just couldn't believe that God was going to do something amazing in the midst of that. When we were in uh, Israel a number of years ago, we got to go to, to Lazarus' tomb. And, and when you go there, uh, there's a, a, a kind of a 
well, if it goes down into the, into the ground, a stairwell that goes down, and you walk down in there and come down to the bottom of it eventually. And there you can see to the bottom of the steps on the side uh, the crypt where his body would have been laid. And, uh, and you can go down in there, and you can actually step down into the crypt. And if you really want to, you can even lay down in there, and then they'll turn the lights out. And there's this moment going, so this is what it's like. This is what it's like to be dead and to be in the tomb in the cold and the dark. And, and it's from that place that Jesus, in this story, calls Lazarus up. And he rises up and the people couldn't believe it because it's not supposed to happen now. And I'm wondering, is, is, really, is that where we are? Do we think about the resurrection as kind of an idea or something that might happen at the end of the ages but isn't going to do anything right now? Or do we understand that, that when God arrives, when Jesus shows up, when we come on Easter morning and we proclaim that he's resurrected and living in the midst of us, God still is able to do amazing things, things that defy explanation, that God is still going. Um, Eugene O'Neill wrote a play about uh, Lazarus. It's called Lazarus Laughed. Uh, it's rather obscure, and parts of it are kind of strange. You probably won't ever see it produced anywhere. Uh, but, but the central theme of that that goes through it is that Lazarus, once he's raised up, fears nothing. That from that point forward, you know, anytime a challenge comes at him or something threatens him, he just laughs. He just laughs at it. Now, the, the strange part is every time he laughs, he gets younger, and that's what makes this play kind of go in a weird direction eventually. But, 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 but the point of it being that nothing, nothing threatens him anymore. There's nothing to be afraid of. He just laughs at it. Because, you know, Lazarus, he, he knows what it's like to get sick. He knows what it's like to get sick and suffer. He knows what it's like to get sick and suffer and die and be put in that hole in the ground, in the dark, and in the cold. He's been there. And he knows what it's like for Christ to call him out of there and to bring him a new life. And so what is there to be afraid of in this world? You know, the power of the world, the power of the world is death and darkness. Isn't it? That's, that's the ultimate threat we can make against someone. The power of the world is death and darkness. And indeed, the, the resurrection of Lazarus is so brazen an example of God's power that it will actually kind of spur uh, Jesus' enemies to say, we've uh, we got we to take this guy out. And so, again, they're going to wield the greatest power they have, which is to kill him, except he just rises back up. And Lazarus knows this. Lazarus has experienced this. So every time something comes at Lazarus and threatens him, he laughs. What are you going to do to me? You know, I've already been dead. I've already been in the tomb. You know, Jesus raised me up. What are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do? I mean, is the arm of the Lord not strong enough to do whatever God wants to do? Lazarus knew it was, Right? Is there anything too great for the Lord? No, Lazarus knew there wasn't. If God is for us, who can be against us? Lazarus knew no one could. And he laughed at all the threats to come. I'm wondering this morning when we come and we celebrate Easter, if you're doing it with it just kind of it's this idea in your head, you know, well, yeah, you know, Jesus rose up and you know, sometime at the end of the ages we will. Or, or if you understand that the point of, of, of the Easter resurrection is that the living Christ is in the midst of us and God is still doing powerful things. God is still doing powerful things. God can reach into our lives in the here and now 
and bring us out of the tombs we build for ourselves. Now I want you to help me in this next little part here. When I say Lazarus, I want you to say rise up. So I want you to do this with me, all right? Lazarus. Yeah, that's pretty good. They did better than the 830 crew. I'm impressed, yeah. So, so, so you know, we build these, these tombs around us. We've, we've been in COVID for the past year. We've been shut down. We've been cut off from each other. We, we've watched all this stuff going on in the world, and, and some of us have just kind of gotten to the point of being overwhelmed by all of it, and we, so we, we've just kind of retreated from everything. We've lost hope, and we've built these tombs of hopelessness and sealed them off so that we don't have to deal with it anymore. And on Easter Sunday, Jesus stands out there and rolls away the tomb, and he calls us, and he says, Lazarus, rise up. Some of us have been overwhelmed with grief as we've gone through the year. We've lost loved ones and, and we've lost friends and we haven't been able to be there with them and it's breaking our hearts and we're thinking if we just have to face one more thing, it's going to be more than we can stand. And so we've built tombs to insulate ourselves from that grief and we've walled ourselves off from the pain of the world. And Jesus comes this morning and he rolls away that stone. He says, Lazarus, rise up. Some of us are, are in tombs that we've built out of inadequacy. We don't think we're good enough. We're not good enough as a father, or we're not good enough as a mother, or we're not good enough as a kid, or a grandkid, or a grandparent. We're not good enough at our jobs. We're not good enough at whatever it is, and we've just given up. We've given in to inadequacy, and so we've built this tomb of, I'm hopeless, I'm inadequate, and we've rolled a stone in front of it so that we don't even have to try anymore, and Jesus stands in front of it and rolls us on back, and he says, Lazarus, rise up. Some of us have built tombs out of all of our addictions. Uh, we, we've struggled with them and we've wrestled with them. And whether it's alcohol or drugs or money or work or sex or whatever, we, we've just kind of hit the point of saying, I can't overcome this. And so we have allowed our addiction to build the tomb that we live in. And the stone is rolled across the front because we don't think we can ever overcome it. And Jesus stands in front and rolls the stone back and says, Lazarus, rise up. Some of us are despairing. We've just looked at everything in the world and everything that goes on and nothing ever seems to go right and our dreams don't come true and we've, we've just quit. We've just quit on the world. We can't do it. It's not possible. So we build a tomb of despair. We roll the stone across the front and, and, and seal ourselves in and this morning Jesus stands in front and he says, Lazarus, rise up. Thank you. He or she gets it. Yeah. We build these places like this. Some of us have built tombs of complacency. We've decided that this is as good as it gets. I'm never going to be the person God calls me to be, but I'm not as bad as that guy over there. So we're just going to stay here in this kind of place of mediocrity, and we're going to build a tomb of complacency so that we don't have to try. And Jesus comes and stands in front of it and rolls the stone back and says, Lazarus, rise up. And he brings new life. And he brings new hope, and he brings new joy, and he brings new power, and he brings light that pierces the darkness. He takes our hardened hearts and softens them and, and brings his love to pulse in them. He breathes life into our lungs and lifts us up, and we step out into the daylight, not of our own power, but in the power of the resurrected Lord. And the power of Easter isn't just about what happens someday out there. The power of it is what God does in our lives right now. As hard as it can be for us to believe, it's the power of what God can do right now. That God steps into the midst of, of all of our death and dying that we engage in, all of our hopelessness and despair, all of our fears and our griefs, all of the ways in which we have given up on ourselves and the world. And he calls us and he says, Lazarus. Rise up. 
And we hear that this morning, and we can hear it, and we can answer it. Because on this day, we come to proclaim that Christ himself has overcome the power of death, and he is risen from the dead. Because Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you were here this morning. We give you thanks that you have rolled back the stone. We give you thanks that you have risen up and that you are alive and moving in the world. And we give you thanks that you shine your light into our darkness. You pour your love out upon us. You proclaim us to be your beloved children. You lift us up and empower us to live again. And so this morning we come and we praise you. Hallelujah. And we give thanks to you because you have brought us out of our tomb. And we give you thanks in the name of the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.